Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. We are live. Nice, nice. Thanks for joining us today. We've got several of us here today. It's a party. It is a party. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, joining me today, of course, we have Christy, who, if you've been with us before, you've seen her. Christy is a certified laser tech, and she is our VP of Educational Content Development. Something like that. Something. I think I might have butchered her title a little bit. <laughs> She's really important. That's the point. If you're doing online courses, it's because Christy's made them possible. So. It's a team effort, and well, it's the knowledge that that you have. We're and, very thankful and for Jay yours as well. <laughs> oh. So it's it's definitely a team effort. Well, thanks. Well, we do have Jay here also. Mm -hmm. It's a, a rare treat nice to get to Jay in here. He is a busy guy these days, but it was uh, one of those opportunities to drag him in here, maybe against his will, and make no. him sit here. And <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Glad to be here. So it'll be good. Uh, Jay is also a certified laser tech, and he's got um, his uh, his real role here is on the client relations side, mm -hmm. um, and he helps with marketing. And a lot of the free content that you've probably been able to look at is a lot of Jay's hard work yes. that has made that possible. Yes. So, Excellent work. Yeah. yeah, we're a good team, I think. And my name is Jason Roundtree. I'm a chiropractor and certified laser, uh, medical laser safety officer. And, and this, is, this is what we do. So we're talking today uh, towards physicians, towards healthcare providers that either want to be involved in laser or who are involved in laser therapy, light therapies. And what we try to do every couple of weeks is bring forward a, a piece of research uh, about light therapy or something that laser therapy can help with in a way that hopefully benefits you and your practice, your diagnostic process, um, and your knowledge about how to utilize light therapy in your practice. So that's what we're doing today. We're doing some research stuff. So, Jay, do you know what back mice are? Oh boy, inflammation in the back. That's about what I got. Ah, okay, that's involved. That's pretty good. Yeah. Now, Christy, I'm not going to ask you. We've already talked about this one before when I, we did our, our kind of patient-focused uh, podcast. Um, but back mice is a pretty catchy term. It just is creepy crawly. Yeah, yeah 100%, right? <laughs> the yeah. first time I saw it whenever y'all did the patient podcast, I was like, was that a typo? <laughs> actually a back mice? Okay. Right, right. Yeah, it's very odd. So the, the more technical name for this is episacral lipomas, but back mice is the one that really catches on and, and really communicates well to patients. Matter of fact, um, and we're going to go into what all this is, but the term back mice really originated as a way to try and communicate to patients like what was going on because... Uh, these nodules that we're going to talk about, they actually are mobile in the back. They do move. They can, they don't move on their own, but they can be moving around underneath the skin if you push on them. And they do, um, they do tend to grow in size or shrink in size as well. And so they, they seem like kind of a creepy crawling. So, yeah. So we'll get a, go ahead and get into this study. This is kind of a fun one. The title of this is The Best Laid Plans of Back Mice and Men. A case report and literature review of epicycroiliac lipoma. And this came out in 2016 in Pain Physician. There's actually not a lot of research out there on this. This is one of the best kind of overviews. It includes a really great case study that we'll talk about um, with some real world kind of uh, experience for, for people. And then also it goes through a kind of a literature review of the possible treatments out there. So it's pretty great. I would love to see some more research on this, but right now this is kind of one of the best papers out there. Um, and if you, um, 
especially if your musculoskeletal uh, training on the you know on the clinician side was a while ago, you may not have uh, gotten a big exposure to this. I know at least when I came through school, this was I we breezed through this, but we really didn't talk about it hardly at all. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is good to, to definitely cover. So most people want to know, of course, uh, what are back mice. So here here's the the rundown. Back mice are a herniation of fat through the lumbar fascia. Now the fascia surround the the muscles, give them some direction and help reinforce them and, and give you kind of the strength there. But if those get damaged, if the fascia layers get damaged, it can be trauma, it can be sprain strain issues, um, surgeries can do this too then sometimes fat will actually push through that layer and then gets kind of isolated. So if you know what a hernia is, regular a regular abdominal hernia, you get um, fat or, or gut that pushes through that abdominal wall. This is really not that much different. So it's just on the backside, obviously no abdominal contents coming out, but it's just some fat. So once that pushes through this kind of layer of fascia, it tends to get kind of isolated and then just sits there and creates inflammation and it can create a lot of symptoms too. So let me read you something from the study here. First of all, they say that low back pain constitutes the highest cause of of disability globally, more than $100 billion a year in medical expenses for combating low back pain. Now there's different categories of low back pain. This would be in the non-vertebrogenic low back pain. So if you're looking at your ICD-10 codes, this is not vertebrogenic back pain. This is other low back pain. It's the other code for back pain. <laughs> because this is not related to the vertebrae. This is not a disc issue. This is not a facet issue. This is a totally separate musculoskeletal system than musculofascial system. So they, uh, they say that appropriate recognition of treatable causes of back pain, even for a small number of cases, has the potential to ensure patients avoid a delay or inappropriate diagnosis and consequently receive timely treatment. And that should be, you know, common sense, I would think, you know, you need to get a good diagnosis. But the problem with low back pain is it's so vague in a lot of cases that sometimes clinicians don't really put in the effort to get to that next level. Like if they, you can just throw some NSAIDs at it and call it good. Right. How, how does the pain present itself to the patients? That's a good question. This is weird. This is weird pain. So to, for that one, let's just go ahead and go through the, the case study because it illustrates pretty well how odd these pain patterns can be. This is not, uh, you know, if you have a disc problem, then typically you have more pain when you're sitting, you have more pain when you cough or sneeze, straight leg raise will be positive. Like there's a whole like series of things you can find on, on a physical exam that are very consistent for most disc injuries. Facet syndrome is kind of similar. There's a few tests you can do and you pretty much know you're dealing with a facet pain issue. This is not really that way. So in this case report, they said a 47-year-old woman with a two-year history of persistent central low back pain uh, presented to their outpatient pain clinic. Um, She was in the midst of a two-week low back pain exacerbation. So she'd already been having pain pretty consistently for two weeks, but this had been going on before that. She said it was intermittent sharp pain localized to the bilateral low back area adjacent to the posterior superior iliac crest, so right around the SI joints, right? They said that associated symptoms included intermittent numbness with occasional muscle cramps of the bilateral posterior thighs. Interesting. Right? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They go on to say that pain triggers included twisting and walking 
while alleviating factors including resting and lying down. Prior use of heat, ice, and proxen twice daily provided a little relief, but pretty minimal relief. So, you know, all the things that you would think should make it feel better, ice, heat, you know, over-the-counter drugs, hmm. very minimal, and very odd to have this localized pain with both sides involved with numbness, but also mm -hmm. muscle cramps. Very, very strange. Would the numbness ever be like, oh, that's neuropathy? That's a good question. So neuropathy is nerve damage, right? And usually with a peripheral neuropathy, you're gonna find that in the feet and the toes first. Not so much in like the back of the thighs. So you shouldn't necessarily misdiagnose this with the neuropathy. Right. Okay. But if you have any kind of numbness, there's some kind of nerve irritant somewhere. So, you know, you should still do a really thorough history on, on the patient. You should always make sure you're checking, you know, blood pressure. You're checking uh, for recent blood work. Make sure that blood sugars are controlled. You should be checking the normal stuff you should check. Um, but most of the time, if you have, you know, radiating pain from the back down into, like, the back of the thighs, one of the first things you suspect is either a disc mm -hmm. issue or maybe a piriformis syndrome or, or the, sciatica or something yep, like sciatic that. sciatic pain yeah it, but it is weird mm -hmm. to see that on both sides i was gonna say this is bilateral rather than just one one-sided that's right so that the mice move yes <laughs> <laughs> yes so on physical exam they were able to find two mildly tender but distinctly palpable freely movable nodules with one nodule overlying each side of the lumbar paraspinals and measuring about four by two by three. So pretty pretty good sized nodules over that area and one on each. Now that was just mildly tender when they found them, okay? And they, they move around, they slip around, they feel like a lipoma under the skin. You should probably be familiar with palpating lipomas before, but a little bit tenderness. Now deep palpation of these lesions reproduced the patient's sensations of pain in the low back as well as numbness in the posterior thighs. Interesting. Yeah. So if you have a disc issue, you can palpate the heck out of that vertebra. It's not going to send anything down, down the spine. I mean, I've never seen that. But in this case, just pushing on these nodules was enough to really replicate the patient's symptoms. That's interfering with the nerves, or that's really pushing on the nerve then? To no. no. Physiologically, there's no mm -hmm. possible way it's mm -hmm. pushing up against the well, nerves. Yeah, because that nerve is so long. Nerve is very long, mm -hmm. and it's very deep. Mm -hmm. So the, these nodules are very superficial. They're really just under the skin. Um, and they lie in between the skin and the deeper muscles, which is above the spine. So they we're talking very superficial. So how how does this generate these, these symptoms? No idea. Wow. No idea. There's no direct pressure on the nerve. You know, mm -hmm. there's, there's some kind of irritation in that area. The only theory I've been able to come up with is that it's so much irritation on those nerve endings around that nodule that it's kind of back spilling along those nerve endings to the spine and then it's irritating kind of everything in that area. That sounds like a good theory. Yeah. I like it. Okay. <laughs> That's all I can figure out. There's no other way that you could, you know, push on somebody's skin and, you know, irritate the deep nerves, really. Mm -hmm. Oh, and the numbness. That's what's confusing as mm -hmm. well. I mean, what causes numbness other than a pinched nerve, in right. my thinking? Yes, and that's the thing in a lot of patients' minds, too. So when you have symptoms like this, my back is killing me, I've got numbness, and I mean, what do you do? You go to your doc, or you go to the orthos, you get an MRI, you get all this stuff, and they go, eh, there's nothing there. And it's difficult because the patient's not sure how to communicate 
because they don't know it's this condition that is not very well known. Right, mm-hmm. right. And again, unless you've got somebody as a physician who's willing to really get in there physically and, and do a good, thorough palpation and, and, and exam, this is easy to miss. It really is. Um, because, you know, just listening to the symptoms, you start thinking, maybe this is a massive disc herniation. She's had it going on for two weeks. She can't get any relief. It feels better when she's lying down. Like, those might line up with discs. So then if you go straight to MRI and you don't actually get in there hands-on with this back, you could really miss something. And now you've cost the patient an MRI and a delay, and Mm -hmm. now you're chasing the wrong thing for your diagnosis. So get hands-on. Get hands-on with your patients. If you don't, at least try this. At least just make a commitment to over the next, say, month, every back pain case you have, get in there and feel for these. Not only does it make you um, a little more thorough with your exam, but maybe you'll find some of these and it could be part of the problem. Mm-hmm. There can be, I will say, there can be lipomas over that low back area that are not really a instigator of pain. So if you find a lipoma, don't automatically go, that's why the patient's got pain. Do this deep palpation test. Really do your homework because it may not be part of the cause of pain, but it, but it might be. might be. So uh, to go on further, in this physical exam, they said that the rest of the whole regular physical was completely benign. There was a negative straight leg raise test, which is for low back disc herniations. There was a uh, negative Patrick's test, which is for hip joint pathology, hip joint issues, which would also make sense if you're looking at back pain and, and pain in the, into the thighs. Um, there were no findings of neurologic deficits or sensory changes, which mm-hmm. that right there would really rule out your concern for neuropathy, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, um, what they did finding this was the next interesting part, because what do you do to fix this, right? So they said, okay, we want to bring you back, and they said to this patient, we want to bring you back, and then under ultrasound, under ultrasound, we're going to look at these nodules and we're going to inject them with with a mixture of cortisone and lidocaine. Hmm. Now, I don't like cortisone. Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. No, no. Most, people, most people, if they know anything about it, don't really like cortisone that much. I don't like cortisone just because it impairs healing, mm-hmm. right? And if we have a herniation of fat sticking through something and we want it to heal, I'm not going to want to necessarily cortisone the heck out of it. So, um, still, this is one of the recommendations is a, a cortisone and um, uh, an anesthetic kind of combo injection. Because what happens is once you get in there and you start just basically needling the heck out of this thing, not just you can't just poke it and inject it, you have to actually get in there and work it, hmm. it stimulates some of that inflammatory response and it helps the body actually repair it. That's the idea. Okay. Okay, so putting cortisone in there could inhibit that process. It probably does make the patient feel a lot better a lot more quickly. But dry needling this thing is really a pretty good approach. And the problem with the dry needling though is that it is really painful. Mm-hmm. So you really need to go with an anesthetic type approach like a lidocaine or something like that and then do your needling because it is, it's just it's murder on the patient. So you're basically just trying to break up that fatty deposit? Yep. And if you can do that, if you do that well enough, then the body basically just breaks it down, reabsorbs it, and then ideally will also help to kind of mend that hole in the in the fascia. That, that can happen. It does take some time, but that, that can definitely happen, and, and needling it seems to instigate that repair process pretty well. 
So um, that's exactly what they did in this case. They they went in there with um, lidocaine and a uh, a lidocaine marking blend actually, and then um, corticosteroid. They injected and then they dry needled the heck out of it for about five seconds, um, and they did that five times at each site. So she had two of these sites. So they injected, needled it for five seconds. Injected, needle it for five seconds, <laughs> five times. That sounds painful. It does sound very painful. So you definitely want that anesthetic in that yeah. case. Yeah. Just knock so, me out. <laughs> yeah, knock me out. Yeah. Um, so if you're a PT or, or a chiro, if you're in the, the non-invasive space uh, for healthcare and you want to dry needle one of these, just be, be, be able to know that it's going to hurt and you can't just needle it once and be done with it. You, you're probably going to have a lot more with it than that and it's, it's not going to feel great. So if you can do this with with the lidocaine, especially lidocaine marking blend, that that should be a good way to reduce the patient's pain and still get some of that needling action in there without just murdering them hmm. on the table. So yeah. are you saying multiple sessions of needling? No, you can do that all in one session. It's okay. just it's a lot. Mm -hmm. If you're doing it this way, if you're doing it dry needle, where you're not putting in any of the any of the the numbing solution, you might want to try and break that up into more sessions so that you're you're giving the patient a, a little bit of a break. But again, it is going to be painful. And if you let them out of there before you're done, you know, and say, okay, see you back next week, you might not see them back next week because <laughs> it does not feel good. Okay. So uh, they, they go on to say, just to kind of conclude that, they say, the limited evidence base that we have does suggest that repeated needling and injection therapy appears to be the best initial approach. Now, I will say... Keyword being initial. Initial approach, yes. Now, there are surgeries for this, but you're kind of, I don't know, you're, you're beginning that, that scarring process. So you can have these removed, um, but I'd be concerned about future problems as well. It's not nearly like the surgery that they'll do for a disc issue, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it, because it's very superficial. But still, if you can do this non-invasively or minimally invasively, I tend to think that's a better approach. Um, they say if you approach this correctly, you're going to avoid the unnecessary diagnostic testing and appropriate treatments. They say clinicians should recognize back mice as a potential diagnosis associated with acute or chronic low back pain to ensure patients do not receive an incorrect diagnosis of non-specific low back pain. So get in there, palpate it, figure out what's up, see if maybe that patient does have this issue because you don't want to miss it. If you miss it, and, and your treatments are probably not going to work, no matter what that treatment is. But we're not the uh, injection uh, therapy institute podcast. We're a laser therapy institute podcast. So where does laser fit into this, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so laser is actually a great non-invasive tool for this because it's going to decrease inflammation and it stimulates better blood supply and repair. So in the smaller back mice issues, this can be extremely valuable. Also, if you're going to do the dry needling side or the injection process side, laser can actually lower the pain in those procedures and stimulate better recovery afterward too. So there's no reason not to use laser before and after these procedures mm -hmm. as long as you're not doing cortisone. Cortisone and laser don't mix very well. You don't right. want to do that. Right. So, but if you're gonna go in there, you're gonna laser, laser uh, you know, needle the heck out of it. Uh, laser beforehand make you feel better. Laser afterward make the person recover better, have a better outcome overall. Um, you know, so if that all fails, then you can go on from there and maybe consider surgery. But highly encourage you to at least consider a few sessions of laser therapy, maybe even as a starting point, mm -hmm. and then go into your injections with laser 
continue with laser, and then if the patient is not recovering well enough, then maybe it's time to go to surgery and, and figure out what's going on there. I do, maybe you mentioned this and I didn't hear it, but how does the fascia create a hole that the fat can then push through? Mm, it's, it's usually an injury. Okay. An injury of some type, a, a sprain strain injury, a slip fall injury, something like that, that actually allows this kind of gap in the fascia. Um, fascia is extremely strong in one direction, but if it gets twisted or pulled in another direction, it can separate. And so then this, this kind of fatty infiltrate pushes through that hole because muscle is still bound within its own fascicle. So that doesn't, muscle doesn't really push through that hole, but fat content in there absolutely will. Okay. So this is most likely to occur after an injury. Yes. The problem with it though is you might have pain with that injury that then goes away as the inflammation goes down, but then this problem shows up later mm. because it takes time for that herniation to happen and then inflammation to build up around that fatty nodule and then start producing symptoms. It could be a few months, it could be a few years. Uh, so you may not really track down you know, where this eventually really came from, but that is, that is the theory behind why that happens. And theoretically this could occur another place besides just the back? The back is a, it's, it's a unique spot for it because the, the fascia is so thick and so supportive and so important for, for function of the back muscles. So the other side of that too is that you have so many nerves in that lower back area and not a lot of other soft tissues. So there's a few different factors that go into, this is probably just an issue in the lower back, say, you know, L1 down through the sacral area. Um, you're not going to really see that, say, um, you know, in like the thigh so much. Sure. So. Okay. And then after, I'm just peppering you with yeah, questions. Yeah, no, now. this is good. After you mitigate the pain, mm -hmm. now let's say the fat goes down, how yeah. do you, how does the fascia reheal? That's where laser comes in, I would assume. Yeah, laser definitely helps. Uh, fascia does have repair properties. Uh, it is slow. It's a connective tissue. So, you know, how long does it take for a sprain to get fixed? A while. A while, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Same thing for this fascia. So in this particular case study, this gal had extremely great relief, and she had no more pain two weeks post-procedure, mm -hmm. and they did try and get her to schedule a follow-up like a month later, and she said, no, I feel too good. <laughs> so, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's still not a bad idea, though, to follow up with those patients again in a couple months just to make sure you're not looking at some kind of recurrence, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So put this in your uh, list of things to evaluate for your low back pain patients, but especially in maybe cases that haven't responded well to what you've been doing. You know, uh, if you've been working on chiropractic with somebody for, for low back pain and it's just not responding, maybe the problem is not the vertebrae. Maybe it's this, you know, and, and it'll, it'll mimic vertebrogenic pain, even though it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with it. So you can adjust somebody's low back all day. You can mobilize the heck out of those joints. It's never going to get any better. You know, you can give them a, the best exercise plan ever, and it's not likely to really help either because the problem is not the muscle, the problem is the fascia. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool. That's fascinating. It is. It is pretty interesting. Yep, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> if you have questions on this, please get a hold of us. You can email us directly, info at lasertherapyinstitute.org. You can also check out all the free content that Jay has spearheaded by going to the website as well. Uh, and you can check out all the courses that Christy has managed to help us direct and really uh, put together. They're excellent courses on laser therapy, how to use it in practice, custom settings, protocols, the whole bit, everything you might need. 
just go to the website. Thanks very much. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.